0: for his help in doing that. So there's some words on the screen. Let's pray this together. Teach us your way, Lord, that we may rely on your faithfulness. Give us undivided hearts that we may fear your name. Bring joy to to your servants, Lord, for we put our trust in you. Amen. Thanks, Robert. Today's Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 18. It can be found on page 966 of your church Bibles. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, tucked the child, and left and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord said to the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. When what was said through the prophet of Jeremiah was fulfilled, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. is not allowed, not in my castle on a cloud.
1: Anyone know where that comes from? Yeah. So if you're familiar with uh, Les Mis, that's uh, Cosette, uh, one of the main characters at that point, uh, She's working for a not-very-pleasant innkeeper and his wife, and uh, she dreams of a better place. Is it just a dream? Is it just wishful thinking? A few years ago now, Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream, probably one of the most pivotal speeches of last century. Could his dream have only been a dream? Now, I think all of us here this morning would suggest that we we hope not. We long for there to be, like Cosette, a place where there is no crying, where there are people who love us, where we are cared for, where every person has dignity. We long for this. We have a dream of something beyond. James Smith, a a theologian, he talks about uh, the human condition. He said, we have a vague yet attractive sense of where we think true happiness is found. And I think this is what Christmas captures for us. Here this morning, as we celebrate Christmas, as we gather in our homes or wherever you go to afterwards, we tap into this vague yet attractive sense of where we think true happiness can be found. We speak of joy to the world, peace on earth, goodwill to all. Christmas is powerful, isn't it? The hopes and the dreams that we invest into Christmas. We load this day more than almost any other day, don't we? If Christmas doesn't go well, it's so much more significant than if the 25th of January or the 25th of June doesn't go well. But if the 25th of December is a disaster, we really feel that because we have... So much expectation attached to it, to the food and the fun and the families, the festivities, the friends. When it goes well, we sit there and we say, why can't this be every day? We catch a glimpse of what could be. Our castle on our cloud, our dream, our vague yet attractive sense of where we think true happiness can be found. We we catch a whiff, like walking past the kitchen while Christmas dinner is in the oven and you get that smell of what is to come and the anticipation rises. My family loves uh, baking uh, fruit mince pies. Uh, I love eating fruit mince pies. I love rating them. Uh, There's there's a fine art to, to finding them in my house. My wife has found a new uh, hiding place I have not yet discovered. Uh, but I'm looking, I'm looking, I catch that smell. I create. the anticipation is incredible. Christmas captures that. We're going to explore this morning, uh, we're going to unbox Christmas. Uh, got three points here for you. That Christmas is about the desired gift. It's also about the rejected gift. And finally, it's the gift that keeps giving. Let's dive on in. We read this morning, Robert read to us from Matthew chapter 2, probably a very familiar passage for us, and we are introduced to the Magi from the east. Now, sorry to be a wowser, these are not kings. Uh, They were astrologers. They were experts in uh, discerning signs in the heaven. They were probably from Persia, cross in what we now know as Iran and Iraq, uh, and they had travelled in these magi from the east. They had seen something in the sky. They had seen an astrological phenomenon that has told them, not just, hey, there's a star, but that star told them that a king, a king over God's people in Israel, had been born. And so these guys... They are so convinced that this is worth doing something about. They jump on their camels and they travel. I googled this. Uh, If you're going to go as the bird flies from Babylon to Jerusalem, it is 2,700 kilometers. That's almost walking from here to Darwin. And that's as the bird flies. And as you see on Google Earth here, there's an awful lot of desert in the middle there. So people didn't travel across the desert. They went across the top, what was called the Fertile Crescent which probably would add a couple of thousand kilometers to your journey. When Herod later on, and this is jumping ahead, when he asks them when the star appears so he can work out how old this child was, and then he goes to take action, it may have taken them up to two years to get there. They had been traveling for a long time. In our Christmas stories, so often we have the wise men rocking up on the time when Jesus is actually in the cradle? Uh, Probably not. Uh, It could have been up to two years afterwards as Mary and Joseph staying with family in Bethlehem, uh, they are visited by the wise men. But these guys, these magi, they think this is so important, this glimpse they have of what God is doing, that they travel thousands of kilometres by foot and camel and whatever else to find what they are looking for. They desire this gift. And it wasn't just them. The people of Israel, God's people, they wanted that gift too. Now, if you know anything of the history of Israel up until this point, for the last 700 years before Jesus' birth, it had not been a happy time. Israel had had hard years. Dark years, poverty, shame, exile, oppression. Take your pick of, of ancient powers and they had subjugated God's people. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, they all just took it in turns on picking on God's people. There was just a brief, a brief window of freedom in the middle before while well, they kicked the Greeks out and then the Romans rolled in. God's people had been under the thumb. But God had made them promises. He had made them promises through the prophet Isaiah some 700 years BC. And God had promised a time was coming that was a time of light. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. Isaiah 60, a great prophecy of redemption. A time of light, a time of honour. Nations will come into your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. A time of light, a time of honour and a time of glory. All from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. God had made promises and Israel was waiting for those promises to be realised. The Magi desired this gift, Israel was waiting for this gift and if we look at ourselves, we want this too. We have this vague yet desirable vision of where true happiness may be found and Christmas does capture it. Not just all the fluff on the top, but as we actually dig down into Christmas, Christmas has incredible power for us. Christmas has incredible meaning for us. The words that we associate with Christmas, love, joy, peace, hope, goodwill. Jesus, in spite of the world's best efforts to shuffle him off, is amazingly resilient, isn't it? We don't want to detach those things from the birth of Jesus. And so when we walk into uh, Rundle Mall, this is probably the only bit of peace you'll find in Rundle Mall, actually. Uh, We have peace proclaimed, joy proclaimed. They might have a different idea of where it is found. But you know what? I've not seen... Happy holidays, remember that whole movement to try and get Christ out of Christmas? Doesn't seem to really have bitten. And the funny thing is, the irony of it is, if you understand the origin of the word holiday, break it down, what is it? Holy day. It's quite funny, actually. Uh, So you move Christmas and you just make it a holy day. Um, But we want it. We want what Christmas offers. Like Christmas the people of Israel, longing for light and honour and glory. We long for hope and love and joy. We want that, that glimpse to be something more. We want not just peace and joy and goodwill for a day. We want it forever. Not just for a moment, but for every day from here on in. We long for this gift. But obviously not. Because across Adelaide today, if church attendances are roughly about 5%, 95% of Adelaide doesn't think that Jesus is worth celebrating. We, We want Christmas, but we want it on our terms. We want it for what it means to us and we want it in the way that we want it but not necessarily in the way that Jesus brings it and so we move to our second point that Jesus although he was a desired gift was also a rejected gift and it may surprise us that the first rejection that Jesus faces is not actually from King Herod It's actually from the religious leaders. See, the Magi have come in. They've traveled in and they've come to Jerusalem. And they rock up thinking, we're looking for a king. They go to a palace and they ask King Herod. Obviously, these Magi were important enough they could get an audience with the king. Now, King Herod was not Jewish. You may not realize that. King Herod was of Arabic descent. Uh, He had converted to Judaism Uh, and uh, he really was not a very nice man. Uh, He'd been a vassal king uh, of Rome for 40 years, uh, and he was reputed to be the only man who managed to keep peace in that part of the Middle East. Uh, He did so by brute force. When he gets this question, he's not a biblical scholar, so he calls them in. He calls in the religious leaders and he tells them, he asks them, where is the Messiah? So Jesus has just gone up a level. The Magi are looking for the king of the Jews. Herod's cluey enough to know that this one that they are looking for is the one that God promises because the Messiah, the Christ, is God's anointed king. So he gives them a pop quiz. Where was he to be born? No no, uh, surprises. They come out straight away. Bethlehem in Judea, they know their Old Testaments, they know it's Micah chapter 5, verse 2, they pull it straight out and they give it to Herod. Herod passes it on to the wise men. Bethlehem, Bethlehem of Judea, a two-bit little town famous for one thing, King David had been born there. Just a stone's throw some six kilometers away from Jerusalem, Uh, they're almost there. That's where you need to go. But it's not surprising that the religious leaders do this. That's their job. But does it ever surprise you that the people in charge of the religious life of God's people, the people who really were entrusted to teach them of the promises of God, the promises of light and glory and hope, how much interest do these religious leaders show to the birth of the one that they have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. What do they do? Absolutely nothing. Why? Well, Matthew doesn't actually tell us. Maybe they didn't think that their vested interests were best served by jumping in with some newborn king and it's better to keep the Romans and Herod happy. Maybe they didn't feel that what God was offering and promising was really worth having, that they had a good life here. They were at the top of the pile. Why do we need to change things around? For whatever reason, the religious leaders did absolutely nothing. Polite disrespect. It's kind of like, sorry if I'm going to offend you here, it's kind of like Australia and the Queen. You know, we had a we had a, a constitution. Uh, we had a, a referendum not long ago about whether we were going to change the constitution and become a monarchy. I think the apathy party actually won the day. Most Australians we like the Queen, but in terms of the day-to-day running of our life, she doesn't really play much of a part. We're polite. Don't want to be disrespectful to Her Majesty, but. In terms of what I do day to day, she's in England and she has absolutely no impact on me. That is kind of what it was, I think, for the religious leaders. They saw God at a distance. They didn't see much impact in the here and the now. But what it meant was that when it came to the crunch, they were just as opposed as the most violent opponent. Some chapters later, Jesus is on trial because he is challenging them. They've brought him before Pilate, the Roman governor, and the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas, a murderer and a rebel, and to have Jesus executed. Their polite disinterest has escalated somewhat they saw that Jesus came with God's authority as his king and they did not want that today we see the same I don't know what Jesus means for you but there's a chance that there are some of us here this morning for whom Jesus is kind of a bit like the queen we look at him for a distance. But in terms of what happens on the 26th, the 27th, the 28th and every other day of the year, Jesus doesn't really figure. We kind of like what he offers us, but we don't really like him. It's kind of imagining today you've invited some guests around for lunch perhaps, and you've asked them to bring, you know, that amazing dessert that they always make. And you meet them at the door, they ring the bell, they're standing there with the dessert. You take it out of their hands, you close the door and you go and sit down and enjoy your lunch. You wouldn't do that, would you? But we have a society that says, Jesus, we want everything that you offer, but we don't really want you. The religious leaders show us that that response to Jesus is nothing new. But there's a second reaction in this passage, something a little bit more typical. We've moved from the religious to the powerful, and here we have Herod the Great. Augustus Caesar, uh, the Roman emperor at the time uh, when uh, Jesus was born, he said it would be better to be Herod's pig than his son. Uh, Herod was ruthless, paranoid, and brutally efficient. Anyone he suspected of plotting against him, he had done away with, including his wife, his mother-in-law, and three of his sons. Uh, Herod was a brutal man he was concerned that when uh, he died the nation would not mourn him so as he was on the decline he gave an order that prominent members of families significant families within Israel would be arrested and imprisoned in the Colosseum and as Herod was to die they were to be executed so Israel would truly mourn gives you an idea of Nice sociopath that Herod was. Uh, Thankfully, his sister and son decided that that wasn't really a good idea. uh, And when Herod passed on, uh, they let them out. Uh, But it gives you an idea that this man would not necessarily react favorably to a rival king. And so when he asks the wise men, tell me, when did the star appear, when did you see this? He's plotting. Come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. If Herod was for real, he would have gone with them. He would have gone with them, as the chief priests and the teachers of the law should have as well. But Herod, he wants to do away with Jesus, as we see in verse 16. When the wise men have gone home by another route, Herod realised he's been outwitted by the Magi. He was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Based on population studies, historians tell us that's about 20 or 30 kids. Horrific. Horrific, but pretty ordinary for Herod. He has no problem in ruthlessly suppressing a rival. Now, we see in Herod's reaction, probably a more familiar reaction to Jesus. Many see the claims that Jesus makes, and they want nothing to do with him. They will not bend the knee. They recognize that on the throne of your life, there is only room for one backside. And they want it to be theirs. They sit on the throne. They call the shots. Jesus, you can come on board, maybe, and you can can serve my ends but I am the one who is calling the shots here. Herod saw that. There could only be one king of the Jews and he took ruthless steps to make sure it was him. We recognise, perhaps, that Jesus, if we were to acknowledge him for who he is, God's promised king, he would challenge the way we live our lives, the directions that we choose, And we would recognise that he would have claim on us. A fairly uh, significant uh, atheist philosopher, a guy called Thomas Nagel, a bit of afternoon reading for you, you can Google him, you can find this stuff online if you want. Uh, He wrote uh, in in an article called The Last Word about his fear of religion. He's trying to explain why he was afraid of God. And he said, it it isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally I hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. He doesn't want there to be someone who has a claim on him. Herod didn't want another king. And perhaps you don't either. Who is Jesus to you? But as we started with, we know that we long for what it is that Jesus brings. That's why Christmas is so powerful, which brings us on to our third point. Jesus was a gift for then, for now, and for all. He was the one that they were waiting for. The prophecies of 700 years prior Prophets like Zechariah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Old Testament prophets spanning centuries predicted this one. And Jesus Christ, Matthew makes it very plain that Jesus born in Nazareth, is that, or born in Bethlehem, is that one. He was the one they were waiting for. And some recognised that and received him and started a movement that changed the world. The Magi... They came in and in verse 10, it tells us, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, that sounds like a big phrase, overjoyed, big word. It's actually an understatement. Literally, it means they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It's joy, joy, joy stacked up on top of it. They were so excited. This is Jesus. This is the one. This is the one we're looking for. Some saw it. Some received it, some put their trust in it, that this one, this baby, was the one who would bring the joy that would never go, the peace that would never end, the justice that would roll out and reign over this world. This was God's king. But not only was he a gift for then, he's a gift for now. Because the issues that Jesus came to address, the salvation that he came to bring was so much more than just national salvation for Israel. He taps into the deep human needs for love, for security, for peace, for hope, for forgiveness. He comes bearing all that. And we see that these longings can only be finally satisfied in Christ. They can only be found in him. You can chase them anywhere. You can chase them everywhere. You catch them like glimpses, like those wafts of the, of the Christmas lunch. But in Christ, you have them in reality, in their fullness, That is the promise. Jesus is a gift for now. These blessings are still available to all who put their faith in Christ. So I ask you this morning, have you received this gift? Do you line up with the magi, rejoicing with exceedingly great joy? The chief priests, politely, Disinterested but ultimately opposed. Or Herod, you've been dragged along here, you wish you were anywhere else, uh, you want nothing to do with Jesus. Where do you line up? Have you received this gift? If you want to explore Christianity a little bit more, we're going to be doing uh, a series we've called FAQ frequently asked questions, dealing with not just uh, how to get saved, yes. Christianity is about that, but also about what it is being saved, what it is being one of Jesus' disciples means in the here and the now. And you've got details about that on the back of your leaflet. I encourage you to come along. But why? Why would you want to explore more? Why would you want to come to this king? Why would you want to get up off the throne and give him the seat? Why would you want to trust him to rule? Ultimately, unlike everyone else who will rule, Jesus is no tyrant. The one to whom the Bible tells us every knee will bow, the one who created all things, through whom God the Father created everything, that one who has unlimited power, he used that power to love, to serve to sacrifice. Christmas is all about gifts. Not what we might do for God, not what we might give to God, but what he has given to us. We who deserve nothing other than condemnation have been given a gift that means by faith we can receive nothing other than mercy and grace and forgiveness. Christ used his power He used his power to serve us. He died so that we might live. If you are going to entrust your life, the rule of your world, to anyone, this is someone who you can trust. He will not rip you off. He will not abuse you. He will not take you for a ride. He is the one who was ripped off, abused, for us, in our place, serving us in a way that we could possibly, not possibly, do ourselves. And he offers us, not just a glimpse, not just a, a waft, not just a vague idea of where true happiness might be found. He offers us, through faith in him, a relationship with God that will bring Peace and joy and goodwill and love and hope and security and everything so that it will never go. It will never end if only we will accept. Let me pray for us and then Simon's going to come and lead us in some more time of prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that this vague longing that we have, it can be fulfilled. This desire that we have to know love, to know peace, to know joy, to have hope. Father, it it can be fulfilled and it has been fulfilled through the person of the Lord Jesus. Father, help us to be not like Herod or the chief priests. Help us to be like the Magi seeing Christ born today and rejoicing with exceedingly great joy that our Saviour, our King, has been born. And we pray this in his most precious name. Amen.